We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Broderson with Jasmine Allnut. And we're going to be talking about a woman you should know today. Mm-hmm. I yes. know we don't have a drum here. We but. don't, <laughs> nor do we have a role. But I want to talk about someone who's really hard to find information on. And yet, yeah. during her time, she was well known to mm-hmm. her countrymen, the Scots, mm-hmm. um, as Christina Moore Forsyth. And her story was really popular because of the missionary letters Oops, that she would send uh-huh. back to Scotland yep. and to the church. But it's interesting because there was a man, Livingston, who wanted not to be uh, confused with— Oh, not David Livingston. Not this David Livingston. W.P. W.P. Livingston. And he wanted to write a book on her after she retired, and she said, absolutely not. <laughs> and it had to do somewhat with um, kind of how he wrote— Right. As well as the fact that she didn't want anything about her that would mm. take away from what God had done mm. or even that would draw too much attention to the people she went to without prayer. So he wrote his book was called Christina Forsyth of Fingoland, mm-hmm. The Loneliest Woman in Africa. Mm-hmm. And so she did not consent to the writing of her biography. However, after um, she died, he was able to get her journals and put together a a book about yes. her. Um, she was well-known in Scotland, as I said before, and well-loved by the Missionary Society. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Christina was born in 1844, and her early years prepared her for disappointment and patience. Yeah, I'll say. Isn't that interesting <laughs> how so many times yes. we don't realize it's God preparing us for what he has ahead of us? Hmm. So when she was 10 years old, her mother died. Mm. But even before that, she used to say to her mother when her mother was still living, I want to I want to be a missionary to the heathen. <laughs> and she's only really young. And when she was a teenager, because her mother died, her older sister after her older sister got married, she, w- she was in charge of her younger siblings. And so she couldn't leave the home. Mm-hmm. She couldn't do mm-hmm. what she wanted. Um, at 14, a Christian cousin took an interest in her. She saw something in Christina. And she shared the gospel with her. In fact, she said to Christina, you you want to minister to the heathen, but do you know the Lord as your yeah, Savior in a personal way? And she's like, um, I don't know what that means. Her cousin not only explained it to her, but she also began to teach her the Bible. Mm. And all of a sudden, Christina was super um, interested in going to church for the first time, uh, loved all that was going on. So she was so brilliant that her father allowed her to get, a, you know, an education, mm. and she brought back all good marks in school. She just was a, a natural student. Mm. Now, she wanted to be a missionary, but she also wanted to be married, and she wasn't quite sure how those would, you know, coalesce. Yeah. <laughs> but um, she went to these meetings uh, that were about South Africa, these missionary meetings, and she just absolutely loved them. But at the same time, she was being courted by the son of a banker. Mm-hmm. And he was a Christian, and he had gone to one of those meetings, and he was at her uh, church. Mm-hmm. And he went to London to study banking, but he never wrote her. And her heart was really broken that he never wrote her. And she was, I think she was friends with his sisters, and they're getting letters from him. And, and she's thinking, wait a minute, what about me? Like, what? Yeah. 
And then she found out mm-hmm. that somebody was very jealous of their relationship and had sabotaged. And he had written her scads of letters yep. that had never uh Give, uh, never arrived. Never, never yeah. arrived. And not only that, when she sees him, when he visits her little area of Scotland again, um, he ignores her. But he ignores her because he's so hurt. That she's not right. That yeah. she hadn't written him. So she then sets so her sight on the mission field again. But at the same time, her brother becomes a minister and he's not married and he needs someone to oversee his house. So she puts her missionary plans on hold mm. To take care of her brother and to make sure that, you know, everything in the church. So, you know, she would take care of the church is what she did as her brother's assistant. She was like the secretary. She made sure his house was clean, that he had meals. And it was a setback to her. Well, then he Mm. fell in love with a young woman and he married. So she's like, I'm free. But during that time that she served at her brother's church, she met a man named Alan Forsyth. And he was um, an engineer. And he oversaw coal mines and set up the engineering engineering for uh, coal mines. And they fell in love, and he asked her to marry him, and she said yes. And yeah. so they're engaged. They have the wedding date set when he gets transferred by his company to South America uh, <laughs> for three years. So she says, well, since you're going to be gone for three years, mm-hmm. I might as well fulfill my desire to go to uh, the mission field. Yeah. So she was accepted by the missionary board to serve in a place called uh, Kafiria. Now, it's not called that anymore. This is South Africa. Mm-hmm. But when she got called there, and the reason that it's not called there, it's a very offensive title now because it means heathen oh, or infidel. Yeah, that's right. So, but she decided, and I think this is so wise, to study all that she could about this area she was going to. Mm. She studied about the people. She studied about the history. She studied about the culture. She read everything she could. Mm. And so she learned it was a country that had, um, it was very fertile and a good climate, but it had been overrun by different tribes. So mm. the area had just been taken over from uh, by one tribe after another. And mm. these people that had gone there, the, uh, the Fingos, There were 17,000. They were kind of settled there by the British, but they were totally into their witch doctors and their prophets. Mm. And one of their prophets told them to destroy all their lands and all their cattle. And the people slowly starved to death because the gods did not provide for them. Yeah. Didn't they tell him like, oh, if you do this, then you will have so much wealth and so many riches. Just destroy What in the world? (laughs) So these people also uh, were known to smear themselves with red clay. Mm. So they're also known as the red men. And they wore only a blanket in the winter. That's Mm -hmm. all the clothing that the women wore, just a blanket or the men. And in the summer, in the warmer (laughs) uh, months, everyone in the tribe of the Fingos discarded their blanket. And so they were uh, nude. Yes. And um, they believed in devils, and their worship to these deities was so cruel and Mm. so evil. Mm -hmm. So Christina was actually 34 years old Mm -hmm. when she first stepped on the shore of Africa. Wow. And she worked with a couple um, named the Davidsons in a place called Patterson. And she really wanted to get to the outlying villages, Mm. you know, to Mm -hmm. meet these Mm -hmm. people. But Mrs. Davidson took sick, and Christina all of a sudden was needed to manage the missionary compound. Isn't that interesting that that keeps happening to her? (laughs) Yes, but she did it with joy, Mm. and um, she became 
just so good at it that Mrs. Davidson began to depend on her because the work had been so hard. In fact, that was pretty much what Mrs. Davidson had was exhaustion. But she especially loved teaching the young girls. Now, the Fingos loved Christina, but they were unable to pronounce her name because they couldn't say the R, Christina. (laughs) So they gave her the name Sumoyana, which means mother of the sorrowful, or gentle breeze, depending on what language. Well, both of those are nice. Yes. Those are both lovely. <laughs> but the work was hard. The children usually came sick and filthy, and they usually only came because their parents abandoned them and mm-hmm. didn't want anything to do with them. So once she took them in and began to educate them, and the children became healthy and productive, and they had clothes, mm. the parents would come back for them. <laughs> so there was one child that was exceptional, And her father had left her for debt. And Mm -hmm. so they took her, and her name was Bikiwi. And Mm -hmm. she was super intelligent. And when she heard about Jesus, she became passionate for Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, when she became educated and she became um, very um, elegant, too, and and was such a help, the father saw that she was beautiful. And he Mm -hmm. came back because he had uh, offers on her as a bride for marriage. He'd get a good dowry for her. He'd get a really good dowry, and he was ready to uh, sell her to the highest bidder. So Christina said to him, okay, what will it take for um, to purchase Bikiwi? And he said, if you'll give me a new coat. So Christina hmm. bought Bikiwi for a new coat, <laughs> and she became a substantial member of the team at Patterson. Hmm. Now, later she would become a help to Christina, um, but that's yeah, getting ahead of myself. There yet. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So. The missionaries in the compound in Patterson were under constant peril from tribal uprisings. So at any moment, a tribe could come in and burn everything down and kill the missionaries. And it had happened before. And Christina is in her room. And she hears Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Davidson just screaming. And Mm. she's thinking, oh, she's being murdered. She's being killed. And she thought, I'll just, I'm just going to sit here and pray and wait for my turn. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, the screaming stops, and she goes in. And instead, she was driving off, um, I don't know whether it was a tiger or a lion, but some kind of large cat out of the compound. (laughs) And it wasn't that. But uh, often, they would have to leave with all of their children and Mm. all the people in the village up for the hills and watch as everything was just burned and looted. Yeah, that was amazing how much fortitude these missionaries had. Like, well, we'll just start over again. It's like, yeah, and that (laughs) happens again, too, with her. But after three years, she returned to Scotland, but her heart was in Fingoland. And she married Alan Forsyth. Now, they were married. They moved to London when he got a transfer to... South Africa. South Africa. (laughs) She was so delighted. So as a married couple, they go back to South Africa. He's working. And one day he's uh, going to one of the sites and he's on his horse and he crosses a river and the river just caught him in such a way that it threw him off his horse and he was drowned in the rapids and and died. And they hadn't been married very long. I mean, this is, yeah. I don't even think it was a year. Oh my gosh. It was a really short time. (laughs) So now she's a young widow, and she wants to stay in South Africa. And so she volunteers. She writes the mission board, said, I want to serve, but I don't need your money. Mm-hmm. He left me money, and she had this, I think it was 40 pounds a year. And that was then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> For her, good. that was uh, yeah. more than enough. But she also wanted to um, do what she wanted to 
where she felt led. Mm-hmm. And she felt called to go into the interior. And even though it was only 10 miles away, um, it was treacherous. And mm. you could only get there walking. And it was a very, very dangerous uh, route. And so many people were concerned for her decision mm. since she was a white woman and she was going to live alone with a heathen with no other white person um, for 10 miles. Mm. And she said this, I could do it quite easily. I am not in the least afraid. The natives are not wild beasts. They are mm. human beings and I am not afraid of any human being. So she went to a place called Zalobi. Mm. And uh, I think they would say it. Like with the click thing. They might. Yeah. That's Go what ahead. It's, what is it? Olobe or something oh, like that? for you. I, I'm guessing. Every time I come to that, I'm going to say, yes. No, no. When I, I point to you, you have to say it. <laughs> so there was supposedly one Christian woman in the tribe, but she was being pressured to give up her faith. And again, anyone in that tribe who received Jesus would be tortured or beaten or yeah. whipped. I mean, it was in, rejected Ugh. and sometimes like abandoned outside. And the whole tribe lived in this squalor. It was just so, so dirty. And the Lord kind of cautioned her, like, first get to know these people before you share the gospel with them. So she ministered to their medical needs. And then she would um, sit in the company of the women as they, the women, Mm. smoked, (laughs) cooked, or nursed their babies. And she would give them helpful advice. And so she waited, I think it was six months. And the first time she shared the gospel with the whole village, they laughed and laughed and laughed at the message of the gospel. Mm. In fact, they were even contemptuous. And you know what they disliked the most about the gospel? Mm. The idea of sacrifice and forgiveness. Wow. Sacrifice, giving up of yourself for other people, dying for somebody else, or forgiving somebody who had wronged you. Those ideas were absolutely absurd Mm. to them. They, They couldn't even relate to them at all. And she was not discouraged with this, by this. Why they're all laughing at her. She just simply felt that her timing was off and that she should continue to model the gospel and live the gospel among them until the time was right. That so reminds me of Mary Slessor. Yes. She did the same thing. Watch and wait mm-hmm. for the Lord to provide the opportunities. You know, and I think that's even a good lesson for us because, you know, so many Times we get so condemned, like, I didn't share the gospel yes, today. I didn't share the yes. gospel this week. And really, the Holy Spirit leads you. And there's a yep. perfect timing. Because Jesus also said, do not cast your pearls before um, swine. Yeah. Because there's a time that's right and time that's not. Yeah. And we want to be in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Mm. Okay. So during this time, she visited huts outside the village and brought medicine and much-needed relief. Uh, she helped them um, make food, uh, taught them organization, and cleanliness. And she even taught them how to sew. But we'll get to that. <laughs> One young man, Gaka, listened in rapt silence to the message of the gospel. And she got so excited. She was so hopeful. Until when the women returned to the village, he repeated Christina's message, making fun of it. And just called it the white woman's mad religion. It was like, oh. I got this. Wait till you hear this. This is the biggest joke. And oh she was just goodness. like oh. so disappointed. There are also many perils. On the road, two men followed her one time uh, to kill her. Mm. And she could tell they were following her. So she just turned around. She faced them straight on. And she said, you know, hello there. And <laughs> what are you doing? And why don't you go in front of me? And so one went in front and the other behind. And she mm. realized that they were planning on killing her. Mm-hmm. She knew that. 
But she just prayed, and all of a sudden, a shepherd boy came with his flock, and the two men went running off. Another time, she got lost on the way to Zalobi from Patterson. She'd gone in to visit uh, the Davidson, and it was dark, and she never got lost, but Mm. she did, and it was so dark. And she felt compelled just to lay down right where she was and fall asleep against a rock. When she woke up in the morning, she realized that she was on the precipice of a cliff. Oh, yes. I saw yes. I read that story. Like, whoa. <laughs> yes. It, you know, anyway. And had she kept going, she would have fallen off that cliff. Wow. So for 10 years, she continued to minister the gospel, and it seemed as if her converts were few and only women, and all her progress was daunted by the witch doctors. I mean, everything that she did. Finally, the chief sent her a message. Uh, because he'd gotten sick and, you know, something had happened. And he said, speak much to my people, Sumoyana, <laughs> and teach them about God, for I see that we are all wrong. Hmm. And so Christina got so excited. She said, this is the open door I've been waiting for. And she was about to do it because she thought, if this chief accepts the Lord, this is going to be it. It'll open the door to everyone. Well, the chief was found guilty of theft and sent to prison that week. <laughs> So the next chief, though, was more tolerant of the gospel, and she was allowed to open a day school with 30 pupils. And this was in opposition to the witch doctors, but this chief said, nope, she's doing a good work among us. And she would teach those girls um, to sew and uh, because they didn't have any clothes on. So uh, she did. She helped them to sew to keep the modesty and the, the venereal disease and the different yes, infections yes. down. By 1889, there were 50 practicing Christians in Zola Bay. So mm-hmm. you realize that, you know, she had been there for, by this time, over, you know, 15 years. Mm. And suddenly, but warriors became alarmed by her influence and did all in their power to prevent her from evangelizing. Mm. And converts were often beaten by their husbands. And one girl was flogged and thrown out to die. Christina saved her and others like her. And her house always had at least two, or I should say her hut, always Mm -hmm. had two to eight people living in it beside herself. Uh, The work got so uh, big that she couldn't do it. Mm. And she asked for somebody, you know, uh, she asked the Davidsons, is there anyone you could send? And they sent the Kiwi. Mm. And she came. Now, in 1892, uh, two Scots from the mission board in Scotland wanted to visit Christina. And they came and they were so impressed by the work that Mm. God was doing. And so they went back and said, we've got to send her money. They need a church. So they built a church, just kind of like a large hut with a grass roof. Mm -hmm. Did you want to tell this story? No, 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 not that part. I I was just going to say I love the mission board. And there was a group of women on this mission board that were undaunted whenever Christina needed something. They were like, we're going to help her. I just wanted to mention that because it was so sweet. She was so well loved. And I think part of it was the letters that she sent home. And she would would write out and then uh, she kept a journal. And then she would walk that 10 miles to, to Patterson just to... Uh, give her correspondence to the Davidsons Man. so they could get to uh, Scotland, mainly yeah. mainly for the prayer. Yes, exactly. And this mission board was so good about praying. So anyway, ahead, she uh, at one point, she's taking the old roof off of the um, the church and putting fresh grass on it. Mm. She decides to burn the old grass, and it catches a fire. Oh, and no. the fire burns down the church. <laughs> and again, remember, she's known for her patience, right? Yes. So she looks at it, and she says, oh. God wants us to have a brick church. Oh, and my so it, he really did because when they did a brick church, 
everybody from all the other tribes wanted to come and be members of the brick church. Oh, wow. So all of a sudden, the church like doubled and tripled in size because they all wanted to crowd into it. And one of those converts said, we used to come here to dance and drink. Now we come to pray. So they loved this building. So there were disappointments and there were setbacks. Uh, One Sunday, the church was almost empty because the congregants had gone to a beer orgy. So all those people who gotten saved were mainly (laughs) gone. But Christina was undaunted. She Mm. said, well, you know, their parties aren't as bad as they used to be. They don't last as long. They don't do the destruction. They're not as wild as they used to be. God is working in their hearts, and sanctification is a process. And she just loved these people so much. Well, then she built a school. So she used these, um, you know, these funds and she built a school. So before she was schooling them, but now she builds a school. And when it becomes successful, she turns it over to the government. That's the type of relationship she had Mm. with the government. And she was praying like, Lord, please, 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 when the government takes it over, let it be someone who knows you. Well, Mm. they sent one of the native young men, a fingo, who had been converted. Wow. And he loved Jesus, and he had been educated and trained. And so he continued everything that she had been doing. So when she was 58, doctors discovered that she had heart problems, Mm. and they tried to limit her activity. And she said she tried to comply with everything they said, you know, because her heart, and she knew she was tired, but she just couldn't. Mm. She had to stay active. So... In 1905, her missionary endeavor in Zolabi was completely self-supported by the Christians in the village. It was just unheard of that they didn't need the missionary funds anymore. They were just, you know, these these mm. people cared enough about everything that was going on. So mm. she started visiting mm. the outlined huts, and she would stop to minister to anyone she found on the road. Uh, one time they couldn't find her and they're looking for her everywhere. And they find her on the road with this crippled man just sharing the gospel. And she's you know, she's got heart problems and she's just sitting next mm. to him. And by this time she's in her 60s. Mm. So her schedule was she would get up every morning early against the doctor's orders <laughs> and she would make um, her dinner and put it in a great big pot on the stove. And then she would eat a light breakfast and she would set out carrying a big sunshade, her Bible and a prayer book to visit people. And she loved to go where, wherever she went, uh, whether it was a, a, another little village. She loved to gather all the children. And they said she was like a Pied Piper. The children mm-hmm. just loved her. And she would gather them all around her. And she would tell them Bible stories. Mm-hmm. She also loved to cook. And she loved hospitality. And she loved showing hospitality to everyone in you know the villages or whoever would come in. She would invite them in because she just loved to cook. Mm. Toward the end of her ministry, she needed a stout stick. Does that sound so? Stout, like a cane? Yes, like a stout <laughs> stick. Stout stick, okay. That is just such a Scottish yeah, totally. phrase. A stout stick um, to get around. People called her lonely. Hmm. But she was one of those people who have a very strong impression of the constant presence of God. Hmm. Uh, She was, uh, God was to her a close personal friend, and she would pray to him as easily and naturally as she talked to her human friends. She would ask quite simply for the things she wanted in complete faith, and she would get them. Her attitude toward people was the same kind, simple, friendly, and very human. 
Mm-hmm. She took the keenest interest in people, in the people in the village. I mean, she didn't treat them like her objects or like, I'm here just to save you. Yep. She absolutely loved them. And she cared so about their related. health. She cared about their romance, their love affairs, <laughs> their marriages, their quarrels. Mm-hmm. Like, now what went wrong here? Their friendships. So they could come to her and talk to her about anything. You know what's interesting? Um, because you were mentioning W.P. Livingston, who wrote that book. Uh, he also did a biography on Mary Slessor, and he said Mary Slessor and Christina Forsyth were like two sides of the same coin because yes. Mary Slessor was kind of like uh, on a bigger picture of whole tribes getting saved, but Christina Forsyth was so individual. Yes. She just cared for every single individual person. So kind of neat. Well, anyway, it was really interesting because it did say that she loved to know like the romance. Oh, you like him. You like her. And she loved romance. You know, remember, this is a woman that was only married for a short time. Yeah, and her first love, like, yeah, it was a misunderstanding. So, right, she loved romance, and she loved to read. So some of the women in Scotland sent her romantic novels. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And she loved them. But you can imagine in the, you know, turn of the century, they were so clean. Yes, very clean. And she (laughs) loved romantic stories. And Mm. I, I just think that brings out the... The realness, the authenticity. Yes. Because sometimes we put these people like they're a missionary. All they do is pray and yeah, read their yeah, Bible. Totally. And though that's great, mm-hmm. she was a real person. Yep. And she would. She loved to read these books and these stories. So and cute. I think it's so sweet that the missionary board would send them to her. Yes. Like, oh, she likes this. We're going to send this <laughs> to her. It was just so sweet. But she was getting older and more feeble. Mm. And she said this. You'll like this. I am like Miss Slesser. Oh, hey. I cannot tear myself away. Mm. Because people were saying, you need to go back yep, to Scotland. Yeah. You're you're getting too old. And so finally, in 1914, World War I broke out. Mm. And she was heartsick. And I love this quote. To hear of civilized Christian nations involved in a dreadful slaughter. Mm. What, a, what a view. Yeah, wow. And her favorite nephew died in World War um, mm. One. And so she was just so heartsick over mm-hmm. the war. But um, during this time, too, they're writing to her and saying, you really need to consider mm. coming back to Scotland because her health, her heart is getting weaker and weaker. So in 1918, concluding that she had become more of a hindrance mm. than yeah. a blessing to the mission at... Oh, Colobe? Like yeah, <laughs> there you go, Colobe. Um, because of an attack of the flu in 1916. So... By 1918, she's ready to go home. But in 1916, she had this flu that took her voice away. So she couldn't even talk. No, maybe not. I don't know. It it probably was the South African flu. Yes. (laughs) But it it took her voice away completely. So she lost uh, the ability to speak. I mean, she could still whisper and she could write. So um, her brother, wanting her to come back, sent his daughter. So her niece came to escort her because she's 80 now. And to take her back uh, to Scotland. Mm. And she felt um, she felt so deeply leaving this. And yet all the people came together and they lavished all sorts of presents on her before she left. And a great crowd gathered to bid her farewell. farewell. And at 80, she was asked, if you had the chance, Samoyana, would you do it again? The people said, mm. would you come back knowing in everything that went on with you? Would you go back and live through those lonely 30 years at, at Lobi again? Yeah. <laughs> Looks like Zolobi. Her answer was, oh, yes, I should like to have the chance. I should like to do much better than I did. 
I did very little. I should like to do much more than mm. that before I die. Wow. And so she went back to um, Scotland, and she was very sick by the time she came back, right. and she died in 1919. Wow. Right after the war ended. Okay, yes. So, yeah. Yes. My goodness. Yeah. And wow, so, a... again, at this point, Livingston, mm-hmm. uh, W.P. Livingston, he called, well, he got in touch with her and said, I'd like an interview. And she said, no, absolutely not. Mm. She refused to talk to him. Wow. And uh, she really didn't want him to be the one who wrote her biography. I don't know why. No, that's interesting because yes. he wrote Mary Slessor's. There must have been something or something some that she didn't like because he would write a lot of articles in this one periodical. Oh. And so she had gotten those periodicals and I think she there was like something. Yeah. He seemed a little liberal though. Yeah. Uh, in some of the things I've read, uh, when it came to the word of God and the gospel to her was everything. Yes, so. totally. And yeah, maybe if he would have written ro- those romance novels, she would have liked him better. Yes. You know, no. <laughs> So again, you know, so in a yes. couple of weeks, I've been gathering information about from my cousins about um, my dad's sister, Virginia, because she was just this amazing, godly woman. And as I said before, sometime I'm going to talk about my Aunt Easy, or mm-hmm. her name is Louise mm-hmm. Webster. Yes. And so we want to invite you, if you're out there, if you have a woman, maybe your mother, a sister, an aunt, somebody who discipled you or helped you, uh, mm. inspired you, we want to know who that person is. And if you could write yeah. us a short biography we would love, love to share that, maybe even as yes. an opening when we come in. Yes, please. <laughs> yes. So, yes, we would love to get your stories, wonderful stories just like this one. I love that story and the humility of yes. Christina Forsyth. And hardly and just, anyone man. knows her. I found mm. it in a missionary book on mm. missionaries. So we're out of time. Oh, we are. So thank you for joining us today. Uh, so, but for this day, Uh, This is Jasmine Allnut signing off with Cheryl Broderson. God bless. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut.